All right, so as a father who has little girls, that video just got me when, uh, when it was suggested to me, and I said, I had a hard time not crying uh, because, pff, yeah, so um, fathers, dads, brothers, I just feel compelled to tell you at the outset of this message, never ever doubt your vital importance, the strength you offer, the place you hold in your family, especially your children. Uh, your, your family needs you. They need your presence. They need your leadership. They are, they are more important than your career. They're more important than your friends. Nobody can replace you in the life of your children. We're, we're, we're uh, in week 10 of a, a sermon series we're doing through the book of Philippians. Um, last week, you may remember, we had a guest speaker, Rob Mittuck. He spoke about the peace of God from Philippians chapter uh, 4, verses 1 to 9. What I want to do today is just just take a, a pit stop in Philippians 4, just verses 8 and 9, and I'm going to call this message the 489 Father, but really it's, it's the 489 Christian. Um, and I want to make a disclaimer that since it's Father's Day, I want, I want to offer some pointed application uh, and exhortation to the men. Uh, whether you're a father, whether you're a grandfather, whether you're going to one day be a father, if you simply have a father, uh, these principles apply to you. And if you're listening today and you're not a father and you're, you, you know, you're, you're in some other category, uh, all the principles you'll see in Philippians 4, 8, and 9 are, are applicable for us because Paul's writing to Christians. The exhortation can be applied to everybody at every stage of life, but I'm going I'm to do some deep dives into, into some fatherhood today. So before we get into that, let's, let's pray and ask the Holy Spirit to help us uh, this morning. Heavenly Father, we come before you. We praise you, Lord. Uh, we know that you're a good, you're a good father, Lord. That, that you love us, Lord, no, no matter what's happened to us in this life, no matter how we've walked into this room, um, you are our heavenly Father. And so we come before you and we just fall at our knees and worship you and call you Lord and God. We thank you for sending your Son to die for us, Lord, to make peace with you, to adopt us into your family. We are forever grateful. And, and this morning, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would speak to each one of us, especially the preacher. May your words be evident. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so given the importance of dads, I, I want to ask, uh, ask a question at the outset here. What does it mean to be a good father? Uh, what does it mean to be a good father? Now, now if you don't know, Father's Day has, has a quite fascinating history. The inception date actually goes back to December the 6th, uh, 1907. There was a massive explosion that decimated a coal mine in Monongah, West Virginia. You may know that West Virginia's coal mining country. And, and that day, in fact, somebody told me this week that, that this happens all the time, but this particular one, 362 miners were killed. It was the worst mining disaster in U.S. history. And then several months after the disaster, a local church held a special service to honor those miners that were lost, many of whom left behind wives and kids. It was the first public event on record to specifically honor fathers, which led to a public campaign and a, the establishment of a National Father's Day, which President Woodrow Wilson began in 1916. And, and as I was hearing about the history this week, I started to ask myself, why would, why would people do this? Why would people launch a public campaign just to honor fathers? And it's because I think they knew something. And, and that's that when a father is present, he makes a huge difference in the life of his kids. Pastor John Tyson writes this in his book, The Intentional Father. He says, when a father is present, emotionally healthy, and involved in his child's life, the child has a tremendous advantage in the world to navigate its complexities and challenges with joy and confidence. 
And, and how can he make that claim? Now, th- this is not to say that, that mothers are not important. We talked about mothers last week, and, and that, that's not negating that at all. It's just the emphasis here today is that fathers are also important, very important. In fact, if you listen to these stats, you can recognize what happens in a child's life when fathers are not present. They're four times more likely to live in poverty. They're more likely to suffer emotional and behavioral problems. They're more likely to grow up in prison. 80% of inmates in prison grow up without a father. They're twice as likely to be involved in early sexual activity. And so I'd be stating the obvious to just simply say when a father's absent, he leaves a huge hole. When a father's not fully present in the life of his kids, or if he misuses his power through abuse of some kind, or if he's lost due to illness or death, a father wound is created in our lives. Now, some of you know that, that I, I lost my father when I was very young. I, I was 10 years old. In fact, here's a picture of he and I. Um, my dad was my best friend. He encouraged me. He looked out for me. He guided me. And then he was just gone unexpectedly. And it, it's a horrific pain. It really is. And for those of you that may have walked through that, I'm so sorry if you've experienced that pain as well. Um, he died when he was 40. In fact, this year I turned 41, which means I've officially outlived my dad, and it's, it's just kind of weird to, to experience that. Um, but <laughs> what it's given to me is, is a passion with earnest to be a good father to my children. Others of you know my oldest daughter, Jenna. Here's a picture of my, my little girl right here. Uh, just graduated kindergarten this week. She's six years old, which ironically, it's, it's the same age that my sister was when my dad passed away. And so I, I take time and I look at her and I think, I never want her to experience the pain of losing her dad because Scripture tells me and experience tells me that I am important in her, in her life. Now, in an effort to learn more about being a, a girl dad, I, I came across this book by Dr. Meg Meeker entitled Strong Fathers, Strong Daughters, and listen to what she writes to fathers. She says, speaking of her own dad, most of you out there are good men as well. But you're good men who've been derided by a culture that doesn't care about you, that in terms of the family has ridiculed your authority, denied your importance, and tried to fill you with confusion about your role. But I can tell you that fathers change lives, as my father changed mine. You're natural leaders, and your family looks to you for qualities that only fathers have. You were made a man for a reason, and your daughter is looking to you for guidance that she can't get from her mother. Again, it's to state that fathers are important, not that mothers aren't. Mothers are also crucially important. But as a father, you have the opportunity and calling to reflect the father heart of God to your children. Look at this beautiful picture from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 40, verse 11. He says this uh, about God. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. Now, what do you learn about God from just these couple verses? He's a good shepherd, right? Like a good father, he holds his children close to his heart. He gently leads them. Dads, you're a shepherd for your family. The the reason I say that I cried during that video at the beginning is because it just, it connects with my heart to be a good dad. I long to hear my daughter say those things because I'm reflecting the father heart of God to them. Now, I recognize that some of us in this room today did not have this experience. And for many of us, actually, our relationship with our dad or our experience with being a father ourselves, well, it's complicated, right? It's complicated. 
some of us have had or we have non-existent or strained relationships with our dads. And, and, and if that's you, I'm sorry if that has been your experience. It's, it's not supposed to be that way. Some of us in the audience were listening to a message like this and you're saying, Pastor Bob, I, I, I don't have a dad. I, I, my dad left. My dad hurt me. My dad was not emotionally healthy. My dad, my dad also died or he was just completely emotionally absent from my life. What if you don't have a father? Well, God, your heavenly father, says that he will step in. He is the father that you need and you long for. In fact, listen to this really famous promise from Isaiah, uh, Psalm 68.5. The psalmist writes, Sing to God, sing in praise of his name. Extol him who rides on the clouds, rejoice before him. His name is the Lord. What is he? He's a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. God then sets the lonely in families. He leads out the prisoners with singing. So what do you hear in those verses? We hear that God is Lord. He's worthy of praise. But also, he is a father to the fatherless. Did you hear that? That if you've not experienced the love and the affirmation from your earthly father, God promises to be your father. God himself says, I will step in the gap. Are you lonely? He says he will set you in the family of God. You see, we live, we live in a sin-stained world, but God knows he makes provision for our deepest needs. He made the provision through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross that because of his work, we can be, Paul tells us in other letters, adopted into the family of God forever. That's the blessing of redemption. That's his promise. So on earth, because of their strength and importance, fathers have the power to wound knowingly or unknowingly, with their words, with their actions. And it's why Father's Day produces very different emotions than Mother's Day. So fathers are important. Let's take a deep dive into that initial question and, th and then discuss what does it mean to be a good father? And I want to do that with a diagnosis test. Uh, in his book, again, The Intentional Father, John Tyson lays out five different kinds of, of dads. And, I, and I've mentioned this in a message before, but I want to come back to it because they're just crucially important. I'm going to describe each, and then I'm going to ask where you or your own, or consider your own father, where do they fall on the spectrum? First, there's the, there's the irresponsible father, he says. And that father is just somebody who's that. They have zero responsibility. They take zero responsibility for their raising their kids. They don't give time. They don't give money. They don't give involvement. They're selfish. Second, there's the ignorant father, and, and this kind of dad has no idea what he's doing. He, he brings chaos, he brings hurt into his kids' lives without even realizing it. He doesn't know what it means to be a dad, and he has no interest in learning how. And so as a result, his brokenness is then projected into the lives of his kids. Third, he says there's the inconsistent father, and, and that is, he's just that, right? He's inconsistent. He's up, he's down, he's here, he's not. He's torn by personal ambition. He has the ability to be a better father, but what he does is he prioritizes career, hobbies, he binges on selfishness, and then he feels bad about it, and he attempts to fix it with money or extended time or whatever. But what he leaves in his kids is, is no stable sense of identity or, 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 uh, or security in their lives. Fourth, there's the involved father. And... This is where many of us are and we strive to be. This is the dad who shows up to events. This is the dad who teaches his kids about things like moral purity. He gets a lot of things right. 
But what he doesn't do, because of busyness or uh, in life, or he, he doesn't seek to understand each one of his kids individually and why God made each one of them unique. He's a noble father, but he's missing this important layer, and that leads to the fifth father, the title of the book, The Intentional Father. And Tyson says this, this is the dad we should strive to be, right? He is deeply invested in his kids' lives all the way through their life, right? Birth to death. He wants to help them reach their redemptive potential. He seeks to understand each child individually and form them into young people and, and, and adult people who fulfill God's purpose for them. This is what he says. Listen to this. He says, this father sees parenting as central to his call before God and does it with all of his might. I'll say that again. This father sees parenting as central to his call before God and does it with all of his might. That's the mark of the intentional father. So the question is, which, which one are you? Or, if you're not a dad, which one did you have, right? You know, the Barna Group recently did a study asking men if they felt prepared for fatherhood, and here's what they found. They found 52% of all U.S. dads and even 44% of practicing Christians felt either somewhat prepared or not prepared at all to become a father. That's half of all men who become dads don't feel fully prepared to be fathers. And, and I just want to state, that's a lot of men who don't feel prepared, And so if the intentional father is where we should be, what does it mean to be a good dad? How do we get there? And that gets us to Philippians chapter 4. Because here I think Paul is offering, he's giving us clues in the letter of the Philippians. Paul is speaking to the Philippian church as an intentional spiritual father figure, and he wants his kids to grow in their love of Christ, right? It's not a passage that's specifically focused on fathers. It's speaking to all of us. So wherever you at, this, this passage is speaking to you in some way. But if you're a dad, these are some of my favorite verses, and they should be committed to memory. This is what he writes. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely or beautiful, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about such things. What you have learned and received and heard in me, practice these things, and then what? And then the peace of God will be with you. So these words right here, offered to the church of Philippi, are instructive, again, for all Christians, all Christians. If you're in here today, he's speaking to you, but especially fathers and future fathers. As a spiritual father, Paul writes to his children and says, let this pattern dominate your your life, your thought life. Put it into practice. Become what I'm going to call a 489 Christian. Become a 489 father, and then the church and the world and your family, then they're going to be blessed. We need a world filled with 489 people. We need a people who are marked by the characteristics of Philippians 4, 8, and 9. Paul offers a simple yet challenging picture. He's been saying a unified church, a humble people, intentional dads. They'll naturally flow if you, if you, if you meditate and you put these principles into practice. In verse 8, what he shows us is that we got to, number one, be people of virtue. And second, we have to be people of action. In verse 9, people of virtue in how we think, and then people of action as we seek to live it out. So let's look, let's look at virtue first, people of virtue. What is a virtue? It's a kind of example of, of moral excellence. 
You know, morals and ethics, that's really the philosophical framework for how we should live our lives. And what Paul is doing in this verse, if you... Uh, if you'll remember, much of the letter has been leading up to this point. He's been focusing on creating a, a unified environment of peace. But then in verses 8 and 9 of chapter 4, Paul's showing us how to now rearrange our, our life and our thoughts so that the, the peace of God can freely work. It sums up this section of Scripture where, where he's told us to rejoice. Remember last week, that's a command. Rejoice. Don't be anxious. Pray. And then these parting words, which are, again, are applicable for all of us, he, he, and strikingly poignant for dads, he, he tells us what virtues should embody our lives. First, truth. Truth, whatever is true. Now, the, the, now, truth means truthful and dependable. It means a search for truth in its most comprehensive sense. That includes the truth about God, the truth about the gospel of Jesus Christ, as well as whatever is true in the world. All truth is God's truth. Christians should be people who care about the truth. And that means we should discern what's true from what's false. What, what's, um, we should distinguish true and false motives. Whether, whether you're a father, whether you're a mother, whether you're a, a student, whether you're a coworker, whatever you are, be a person of truth. That's especially needed in a world filled with deception. Now, let me also say if you want to be a 489 Christian, he's saying here that character comes before skill. Character comes before skill. Many times we focus on our skill, what we're good at, you know, I'm good at this and that and this and that, but we neglect character. People, when we don't, when we don't develop character and virtue first, oftentimes there's a shipwreck later in our lives. We have to live truth, we have to teach truth. Now let me, let me come back to, to dads for just a moment, and I just want to ask, and this is really for everybody, what did you learn from your dad? What did you learn from your dad? Now many times um, fathers not all fathers, but a lot of fathers will give axiomatic sayings. And I'll hear people say like, oh, I, I came across this thing and I remembered my, my dad always used to say, my pappy always used to say, taught, taught me things. This is a father's way often of imparting truth to their kids. What did your dad teach you? Now, I know for me, the most important thing I can teach my kids is the truth about God and reality. <clears throat> In other words, it is crucial to give our kids a Christian view of the world so that they will navigate the complexities of life. And to do that, I need to, number one, know the truth myself. So if you're not spending time in, in, in the Word of God, you need to. Uh, join a small group Bible study, whatever. Um, second, if you're a parent, I, I want to challenge you. Come up with a spiritual formation plan for each of your kids. And that's something that is probably best done when they're young, but something that you can also work on later in life. I'm working on th this with my kids right now. I'm asking questions like, uh, what, do my what do my kids need to know spiritually? Um, do they know how to pray? Uh, do they have a grasp on the great truths of the Christian faith? And, and, and I'll offer some ideas that I'm working through, and you can modify them for your kids and where they're at in life. But the first category I would put in there is the idea of catechism. And, and that's a way of teaching your kids truths through a question-and-answer format, which is especially good when they're young. I, I like to use something called the New City Catechism, which passes on these truths through song and scripture memory. Uh, second, Bible. Uh, find a great Bible that's age-appropriate for your children. When they're older, obviously, you can read uh, the, the regular Bible with a good translation. But when they're young, find one that, that teaches them stories, how to memorize verses, how to pray. I, I've specifically liked the, the Biggest Bible Storybook by Kevin DeYoung, uh, which captures the major stories of Scripture. This will take them up to about middle school and also has prayers to teach your kids. I've been through both of those with my oldest daughter. And then finally, wherever you're at in life, think about 
the leg, a legacy gift you might want to give your kids. I can't take credit for this idea, but I've been working on uh, reading through a journaling Bible and then writing down prayers for each of my kids as I've been going through the scriptures. Here's my first set. Uh, what I'm doing is I'm reading through every book of the Bible. I'll write down prayers for my daughter, Jenna. She's first. And one day, and I tell her this, this Bible is going to be yours. And so when she gets it and she reads through it, she'll hear from her heavenly father as well as her earthly father. What are you doing to live out and pass on the truth? Second, he talks about honor. The second virtue is honor. Be a person of truth. Be a person of honor. Thinking about honor leads to a life of respectful admiration. People of honor are noble. They're, they're serious. They're dignified. They're above reproach. Do you know people like that? In other pastoral epistles, Paul calls on church leaders as well as older men and older women to be noble or honorable and worthy of respect. And in our world today, there, there is a great pull to give in to and engage in not what is honorable but what is vulgar. You know, how we speak, what we watch, what we listen to, there's a crudeness that has become acceptable in previous generations, there was dignity and honor in how people spoke in public. Now, uh, you're expected to, to do something vulgar and shocking because, well, that's just, that's just authentic. Paul says, don't be like that. Think about what's honorable. Let that dominate your mind. Third, he talks about justice. He says, whatever is just, think about this. Now, in this context, that verb refers to a well-ordered society. So if people are being treated unfairly, or if they don't have a voice, a just person will step in and do what's right. They, they will speak up if somebody's being mocked or maligned. 489 Christians live out and teach their kids what it means to stand up for what is right, even when it's hard. Now, I've already mentioned my oldest child, but I have a middle child. My middle son, his name is Josiah. Many of you know uh, that he's medically complex. He's got special needs. And despite all that, he is just a fighter. Uh, what a joyful little kid. Uh, my goodness, even after all he's been through. Uh, one of the challenges we're working through right now is that he can't speak yet. He's got a partial cleft palate, uh, which prevents proper formation of some words. He also has conductive hearing loss. This means he can't hear sound. He can hear sounds, but not words. Now, the great news is we've learned there's some interventions that can be used for this. And we're amazed at his progress up to this point, but the reason I'm bringing this up is because at each stage of his development, at each stage of his life, we've had to advocate for him and for his needs. And if you're somebody who's had to walk through that with your kids, it's challenging. It's an exercise of doing what's right, of speaking up for those that are weaker than you and teaching your kids what that looks like. So my hope is that all of my kids would have a, be a voice for the voiceless when necessary, Fourth, Paul talks about purity. 489 Christians pursue purity in all areas of life. That includes their thoughts. That includes their actions. So what do you fantasize about? What, what, are you, what are you looking at when nobody else is looking? How do you speak to other people? Because if we think about purity, we'll, we'll pursue purity. The 489 Christian, the 489 father, thinks about purity. Now, Paul is saying here that our thought life must be brought under control. Remember, in 2 Corinthians 10.5, he also says that we need to take every thought captive and make it obedient to the lordship of Christ. That includes things like sexual thoughts. Uh, it includes uh, malicious and angry thoughts towards others. Our thought life drives our interaction. So here's an exercise. Would it be acceptable for your children or your close friends uh, to see your thought life? What would they see if they saw that? And I know that can be challenging, but 
And you might say, well, that's, that's just for me. No, no, no. People of virtue, men of virtue, they think about what's pure. They strive to seek about what's pure. Fifth, he says, think about what's lovely, or I will just say, what is beautiful? Beauty, right? What is truly beautiful? What are we teaching our kids in how they value beauty? How are we modeling that to our friends? Again, there are so many uh, things in this world trying to capture our hearts today. The marketing agencies are trying to capture our hearts with a form of beauty. They're appealing to aesthetics. What is true beauty? What, what, should, what should really capture our eyes? Have you, thought, have you thought about that? Now, God made each of us in his image as creative beings. So if you're an artist, if you're a musician, and, and you, you put together a song or a work of art that, that draws attention to God's glory, that is beautiful. Right? If you're somebody who, who writes a song and captures the heart of God, that's beautiful. If you're somebody who builds something, or even if you, you, make, you make food, you make an omelet in the morning, and it's done well, we can seek to appreciate what is beautiful in this world that God created. And above all else, Paul tells us, Jesus must be the most beautiful thing to you. He must capture our hearts every single day. And then when all those virtues are in place, we're going to live lives that are finally, he says, commendable. Commendable. Now, the adjective for this word refers to a good report. In other words, if you're seeking truth and honor and justice and purity and beauty, you're giving a good report about God with your life. Your life will be well spoken of. So the question for us is this. How are people speaking about your life? What would your spouse say? What would your, what would your children say? What would, your, what would outsiders say? What would your acquaintances say? Is it evident in your life that you're thinking about truth and honor and justice and purity and beauty? In fact, let me just put those words on the screen here. <clears throat> These are words that characterize a 489 Christian, a 489 father. Ask yourself, where are you strongest? Where are you weakest? If you're going to live the life of a 489 Christian, these virtues have to be on your mind daily. What does Paul say? He says, think about these things. Think about them. And the verb for think about means to ponder, to give proper weight and value to, and to allow that value then to influence how you live your life. Are you giving each of these values, these virtues, weight in your life? That's what we should be thinking about. And then Paul reinforces the necessity to think about each virtue by stating that they're excellent, that they're praiseworthy. Focus on these things. Don't be distracted, like, like we talked about a few weeks ago. And let's be honest, men, we're often distracted. All right, Lots of dads, you're physically present, but you're mentally checked out. And I know, I know, I know because I do this. There's a lot of pressure. It's hard not to think about work or, or think about other commitments. But when you come home and all you want to do is relax, you, need to, you still need to fight to be present. Don't stop thinking about these virtues. Meditate on them day and night. Think about these things because they're part of the mind of Christ. The 489 Christian is a person of virtue. Second, they're a person of action. Don't just think, Act. Too many people in our world, they think, but they don't act. And other people, they act, but they don't think. We need both. And so Paul writes this in verse 9. He says, whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Now, now look at the, uh, the language he uses here. He just basically says, whatever you just heard me say, do it. Do it. Put it into practice. 
And he's not, and what he's, not, he's not providing a contrast with verse 8. He's providing a complement. If you take notice of that word whatever at the beginning, it's referring back to the end of verse 8 where Paul said to think about these things, but the list of moral virtues, but then it's also pointing back to more. He's pointing back to all the other teachings in the letter up to this point, saying that whatever's excellent, whatever's praiseworthy, like it points back to the humble work of Christ on the cross that we're called to emulate. Jesus didn't just think about saving us. He was a man of action. He did it. He came to earth. He lived a sinless life. He died a brutal death on the cross. Amen? Learned means to gain skill through instruction. What Paul is, he's been teaching the Philippian church how to have unity, how to grow in, how to give glory to Christ, and then how to live it out. To receive is a term used by Paul to talk about the passing down of tradition. In this case, the Philippians are receiving the inner understanding of the nature and spirit of the moral life of a Christian, which grows out of the contagious power of Christ's example. Be like Jesus. So if you could sum it up, what Paul is saying is that everything you've learned up until this point in the letter, live it out. Be like Jesus, who was the original man of action. We need to follow his example. His followers are called to be people of action who bring virtue and peace to a world marred by sin. That's him summing it up in these couple verses. Now the question that you're probably asking is now, well, how do we do that, right? How do we actually do that. What should the actions of a 489 Christian, a 489 father, what should it look like? Well, the virtue list we just discussed offers a great starting place. Um, So let's do an exercise right now. I I want you to think for just a moment. If you have kids right now, I just want you to think about one of your kids. Not all of them, just think about one of your kids. And if if you're here today and you don't have kids, um, I want you to picture someone in your life that you influence. Just one person, not everybody, one person. How can you bring and model truth, honor, justice, purity, and beauty in their lives? I've already mentioned two of my children, Jenna and Josiah. I I do have a third child, my youngest. Her name is Zoe. Uh, Zoe is just the light of our lives right now. In fact, her name means life. So much fun. I will also tell you, though, that I saved her until the end because she is my child of action. Uh, yes, she, she is the one who cannot sit still. You hold her for 30 seconds. She wants to get down and run around. I took her to the mall the other day. I, my, my one daughter was doing like the le- in the Lego store. She was putting together a Lego. I put, I put Zoe down. She just ran, and she didn't even care. She's just running down. Like, if I, I got to get a leash on her because I, I, if I was not paying attention, she'd be gone somewhere in the mall. Didn't even care where I was. Kid of action. Try trying to change her diaper right now. Man, it's It's crazy. Each of my children is different. God made them that way. And what I need to learn is how to minister to, how to love, how to form each of them into the image of Jesus Christ. They each need different things, but they each need the same thing, and that is the gospel of Christ. They all need to learn about the moral life, about truth and honor and justice and purity and beauty. And as we live those out before them, that's something they can, they can catch. How are you forming your kids? How are you influencing your relationships? How do you point them to the virtues of Philippians 4, 8, and 9? How do you point them to Christ? Well, for da- okay, let's come back to dads for right now, because I want to I apply this to daughters. Um, again, I have two little girls. I often think, what do they need from me as a father? And 
Meg Meeker offers some points to consider. Again, in that book, Strong Fathers, Strong Daughters, I'll give you just three examples. Number, and again, these are, she's using these, but these are good for other things too. Number one, she says words. Okay, dads, use them. <laughs> use words. Your daughter needs to hear your words. You need to talk to them. Some men don't want to do that because we typically use less words. But uh, the author says, use twice as many words as you normally would, even if that means uh, saying things twice. Uh, teach her about the beauty of God's creation by telling her there is no one else like her in the world. God has a plan for her. Second, he, she uses the word fences. Uh, this is a word used to describe boundaries. Because, Dad, if you love your daughter, show her the importance of fences as it relates to truth and honor and purity. Protect your daughter, even if she doesn't know she needs it. And later in life, I know these things, they're hard because they're not young, uh, but you can still talk to your kids about these things. You can still offer advice, even if they don't take it. Third, she talks about time. Your daughter needs time. When you walk in the door after a long day at work, don't check out and distance yourself. And I know it's hard, but she wants your attention. She wants to spend time with her father. This is especially true in the younger years, so don't waste them but even true as they get older. In those moments, you can impart to her the virtues of Philippians 4, 8, and 9. You can, you can work on building that lasting relationship for a lifetime. Now, I need to mention something because some of you are listening again to this message and you're saying, Pastor Bob, uh, it's too late. It's too late. I, I lost my chance. My daughter, my son, they won't talk with me. I, I didn't do these things when they're young. I'm riddled with guilt. Well, if that's you, let me just say this. Um, it is never too late to start doing something. You can get down on your knees and you can pray constantly for your kids, right? You can seek them out with discernment, depending on the relationship. You can write notes. It, it may be hard, but, and you need to think it through, but, you, but pray and pray and pray and trust that the God of redemption, the God who sent his son to earth, his son who worked miracles on this earth, who went to the cross to die for us, and who will one day come back and rule everything, trust and pray and believe that he can bring redemption into your life, because he can. Now, on the flip side, John Tyson's book, The Intentional Father, lays out a plan of how to walk your son through uh, a rites of passage from ages 13 to 18 and a transition into manhood. And, and I know your kids might not, not all be in that age range, but it's something to think about when they're younger, and it's something to continue or even instill when they're older. What he does is he talks about this personal spiritual formation plan that he developed for his son that included things like sharing his personal story, uh, waking up early to talk, study the Bible, to pray together. Uh, it included adventurous trips, personality tests, uh, talking through challenging issues of the day. This doesn't need to be only when they're younger in this age range. Speaking with older men on that arc of life we talked about a few weeks ago. John Tyson says the reason he did this for his son was because he wanted his son to learn what it means to be good at being a man who follows Jesus. And how will they learn if we don't teach? The bottom line is we have to take seriously our call to parent and to intentionally invest in our kids. They are gifts that God has called us to steward well. And again, if you're not a parent, take seriously this call that God has in your own mission field to whoever God has given you. Practice what you preach. I mentioned earlier in the message that my own father passed away when I was young. And I didn't get the chance to walk through that arc of life with him, but he did leave a testimony that I'll never forget. I still remember at his funeral, speaking to people he worked with, 
uh, and, and he was an operations manager at an airline catering company over here at Newark Airport. And, and what happened was that the funeral, person after person would come to us, and they would say how much they were going to miss him, how, how loving he was, how well he listened. He was an honorable man who sought to do what was right and to serve people. That was evident across his life and how he cared for his kids. He loved Jesus, he had a strong testimony, and then he passed that on to his kids, his coworkers, his family. What does it mean to be a good father? It means being a man of virtue, a woman of virtue, right, if you're not a father, becoming a man, a woman of action. And ultimately, it's about reflecting Jesus Christ in the lives of those you influence. There was only one perfect person, that was Jesus Christ. What did he do? Paul told us in chapter 2, right, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, leaving his place on high, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, the Father's plan, even death on a cross. He gave his life for his bride, the body of Christ. We're called to sacrifice for the glory of God. That's the commendable life, and it's fueled by it's fuel and motivation for the 489 Christian, the gospel itself. What does it mean to be a good father? What does it mean to be really a good Christian, a 489 father, Christian, woman? You're a person of virtue. Your life is commendable because you can see truth, honor, justice, purity, beauty in how you live. You're a person of action. You take it all and you put it into practice. And then one more thing Paul highlights in verse 9. What does he say? He says, and then, and then, and then the God of peace will be with you. The God of peace will be with you. The peace of God, which, which guards our hearts and our minds, we heard about last week. Isn't, and isn't that so difficult today? It seems like there's a lot of anger in the world. Everybody's on edge. People walk around with, with like a low-grade anger because there's so much pressure in daily life. Too many people get angry and offended at everything. We don't need angry Christians we need followers of Christ, people of peace who show the world the love of God the Father. Why? Because God the Father embodies the 489 life. He's the calm in the storm. He lavished his love on us by sending his own son, the Prince of Peace, to die on the cross to bring us the peace of God which guards our hearts and our minds. As the worship team comes back on stage I want to share with you a really famous verse from the Apostle John, his first letter. He reminds us this. He says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, right? We sang about this before. And that's what we are. Dear friends, now we are children of God. We shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. All who have this hope in Him purify themselves just as He is pure. Church, God the Father loves you. Whatever experience you've had on this earth with your, your earthly father, your heavenly father has made a way for you to have peace with him. And now, just like that prodigal son, he wants us to run to his open arms and experience his deep, his deep love. Will you do that today? Will you do that? Because when you experience that love, it will transform you from the inside out. And then, 
then that 489 life will flow from you. Truth, honor, justice, purity, beauty. You can show the world and our families the beauty of Jesus every day. We love because God the Father first gave his deep, deep love for us. What does it mean to be a good dad? It means reflecting the love of God, the love of the Father to your children and the world. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your goodness, your grace, your love. Father, I know for many of us, Father's Day is a hard day because we just have not experienced that. Our earthly fathers pale in comparison to you in so many ways. For those of us that are dads, we're trying. We can only do that through the power of the gospel, through the, 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 the power of the Spirit, Lord. We ask for your help. And Lord, where forgiveness needs to happen, Lord, I ask that that would come, Lord. I ask that healing would come. I ask that we would lift our eyes up to the hills and see you, God, our Father, put our trust in you. Know that you see us where we are, that you sent your son to die for us, that you adopted us into your family if we know you. You gave us everything we long for, even if we didn't get it through our earthly experience. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for your work. Thank you, Father, for your love. Spirit, would you help us? We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.